Welcome to GDN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome talented artist slash creator Matt Lesniewski. Matt has been creating and self-publishing comics, including titles like Arctic Hell, Alone Again, and Antique. But he also has done work for Dark Horse Comics, In Static, and for Red House Books for The Freak. Currently, Matt is bringing his latest project, Faceless and the Family, to the crowdfunding gurus at Zoop. Now, here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome to another edition of GVN's Talking Comics Interview. I am your host, Martin, and today we have the privilege to talk to talented artist creator Matt Lesniewski. Matt has been creating and self-publishing comics, including titles like Arctic Hill, Alone Again, and Antique, but has also done work for Dark Horse Comics, bringing his unique vision and talent in Static, and for Ad House Books for The Freak. But now, Matt is bringing his latest project, Faceless and the Family, to Zoo. So we're going to talk to Matt about his career, self-publishing, and his newest book. So let's welcome Matt Lesniewski to GPN's Talking Comics. Thanks for giving us some of your time today, Matt. How you doing? Not bad. How are you? All right. Well, like I said, I appreciate your time. So as because I have not had the pleasure of speaking with you before, we're going to start a little bit with your background. Uh, when did you take an interest in comic art? And who are the, maybe the creators that, uh, that you followed that inspired you to uh, pursue that? Um, well, thanks for having me on also. I appreciate the opportunity. But, um, basically, uh, comics were always around the house. Ever since I was a little kid, my dad had a collection, so I never got into them. I remember them always just being there. Um, and from as far back as I can remember, they instantly, you know, I was attracted to the art. That's what drew me in. Um, I think the earliest um, memory I have was uh, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man uh, comics. And I remember just seeing all that detail. <laughs> Looking back, that's what it was that, that hooked me. And I remember just seeing the, you know, the distorted, weird anatomy. I mean, at the time, of course, I didn't know that's what it was. But looking back, that's some of what's still influencing my work to this day. Um, so that's how I got into it. It just, I don't know, that might've been three years old, four years old. And I just remember seeing it and I was just hooked. Like this, whatever this is, I, I need more of this. <laughs> I, I, I can feel you there. So uh, I was into it uh, from maybe not quite that young at seven, uh, but uh, I just knew for sure I was gonna end up drawing from Marvel to DC or something that never worked out. But anyway, okay, so- uh, Not yet, so you, not yet. Yeah, so, okay, so you went down uh, the self-publishing road pretty much there in the beginning. Uh, was that a preferred route or was that more your best opportunity to get your work out there? Yeah, more the more the latter. Um, well, at first I, when I was first trying to, at first when I was trying to break in, I just wanted to be a penciler for Marvel or DC because that's all I knew comics to be at the time. Right. And I just thought, oh, hey, if I can just get a job doing, you know, drawing Spider-Man, I'll just send my submissions in, which I did. And repeatedly, I just got nothing back. But I would also try uh, some of the smaller companies and I'd get still a no, but they'd say, pretty good, keep going. But it's a no. So then 
also, um, I was drawing my whole childhood. Like, so that was kind of practice leading up to that. But I would also um, write some of my own stories, uh, just made up stories that I'd write in like a journal or something. So I had some writing experience, but I, I kind of left that behind. But after being turned down so many times as just an artist, which is what I, I only thought of myself as that, I said, hang on a second, let me, what if I just try writing my own stuff? Give it a shot. And I just started with three pages. I did a three page, which that was actually Arctic Hell. Um, it started as three pages. Then after I did the three, I proved myself that I could do it. And just from that alone, that kind of gave me the confidence to do more. And I realized, wait, there's more to this story. And then I, it became a one shot. And then I just released that. And throughout the years, I just kind of kept doing that. Um, and slowly but surely that, you know, I kind of improved and started getting my name out there a little bit and kept doing that until I got to the freak, which is this, it was the same thing. I just kept doing my own stuff, expecting not to get much response. But for some reason with that one, everything kind of changed. Well, not, I kind of know the reason it, I went into it purposely. Um, something switched in my head after however many years it was of not getting any results. And I just said, <clears throat> before I had the story in my head, before I started drawing it, something like something switched, a switch went off and it, it told me, this is gonna be the one. I'm gonna draw this in a way where they're going to notice, whoever they is, just <laughs> someone's going to notice this. I don't care, I'm, I'm, even if it's not your cup of tea, you're gonna respect the level of work that I put into this. So I intentionally went in with that energy, like that hunger, that, and I don't know if the, all the no's led me to that turning point, or I, I don't know really what it was. It just, I remember that just, it came from out of nowhere and I knew, I didn't know if that was actually gonna work, but I, I still got turned down by almost everyone, but Ad House Books, they're the only ones. And before that though, I, with the self-published stuff for, a few years I'd be going to conventions and little to no one would care or they wouldn't really notice. They, you know, I get some people buying my, my books, but it didn't lead to anything. And I expected the same with the freak, but sure enough, I, I go to this show heroes con in uh, Charlotte. It's, it's my favorite convention. Um, it, I was getting results. Shockingly, it, I remember I was, um, I, was, uh, I was walking around, it was the first day before the show started. And then I, I, um, I'm going back to my table, the show's about to start and I see someone at my table and he's looking at, um, he's looking at my original art for The Freak. And he's, I could tell he's really intently looking at it and like, oh, I, I didn't know who he was. So I just said, oh, hey, how's it going? What's your name? He said, oh, I'm Ed. And, uh, and I sat down and then he, I think he bought The Freak, which at the time it was just the first issue. It's like the first chapter in the book. And um, turned out it was, it was Ed Piscor. 
who did um, uh, Hip Hop Family Tree and a bunch of other stuff. And I, I knew Hip Hop Family Tree, but I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't recognize him or anything. And then he took it without me even knowing and he started showing it around to people. And then they kept coming to my table like, who is this guy? He came from out of nowhere. And then <laughs> from that, one of the people was Chris Pitzer, who is the publisher for Ad House Books. And little did I know he bought it. I didn't even know. Same thing. I, and about a month after that show, I pitched it to him being one of the many publishers. And he's like, yeah, by the way, I bought the first issue at Heroes Con. I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> so, long story short, it, um, it 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 just kept not working until it just magically something changed. So, for anybody listening that's in my who's in those same shoes, just keep going. Like, you never know what that right thing is gonna, you know, right place, right time, or what, you never know what's gonna work. Just just keep going. You see, and that's the, you know, to me, that's the impressive thing about it is, you know, because with a whole lot of rejection, I mean, you're just as likely to say, okay, this isn't for me, I'm going to go do something else. Uh, you didn't let that stop you, you just kept on plugging away at it. Uh, and, you know, you were talking about, you know, the amount of detail you'd saw, like in Todd McFarland, that's the first thing that struck me about looking at your work is you put a tremendous amount of detail in your drawings. Uh, and, I mean, between texture and cross hatching, and, and really impressive stuff. And if anybody who wants to actually just kind of check that out, go to one of uh, Matt's uh, YouTube videos where he's actually talking about this book and he's drawing while he's talking about it. It's, it, it's, it's actually very fascinating and I like to watch artists work. Uh, so uh, have you always been that detail oriented or was that something that you developed as you continue to draw? It, it definitely developed over time. Um, some of it is because I'm, I'm into that stuff genuinely and it's, it's you know, but also um, honestly a big part of it early on was I looked at it like, if I want to stand out, I need to do, this is what was in my head, I, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it ended up working. Something in my head told me, I, if I need, if I want to stand out, I need to do something that most people are not willing to do. So I intentionally, like with the freak, for example, um, I purposely put, you know, mountains of detail, which always isn't, it, it, it isn't always the, the, the right answer. You can overdo it. You can ruin it. You can, I'm not saying more is better. That That's not at all. That's the wrong way to look at it. But in my mind, I just was kind of maybe even subconsciously, like if he's in a store, let me draw every single little bag of chips that's on the shelf. Let me, if, if he's in the city, let me draw every single person in the crowd, really put thought into each, you know, each person in this crowd is their own person. Let me make each building its own thing. There's a story behind each, each thing you're seeing in this story. Like, real, let me really leave no stone left unturned, like, so that no one can say anything. And I can't look back and say, well, I didn't try hard enough. Right. I tried as hard as I could. And if it's still a no, well, it's just a no right now. So it, so it's kind of 50, 50. I'm, I'm actually really into, you know, detailed stuff, 
and I had to pick that up as I went along, but also it was a kind of a calculated move. Like, let me do, out of all the artists that, that are newer and they're trying to get their stuff out there, let me go above and beyond. So at least that box is checked. You can't say, well, he's not even trying. He's, yeah, don't they'll never accuse box. you of phoning it in. So that's for sure. <laughs> okay, uh, actually you were talking about, uh, you know, the possibly like overworking the panels to me that was that was always a problem with my drawing was knowing when to say when uh, so have you ever counted that problem as you're doing you know because you are doing such detailed work where maybe you afraid that you went a little beyond where, where the stopping point should have been i mean i would say there's panels out there right now that are published that <laughs> i can point to and say i went way over the top with this like this is just nonsense it's not good I, it it's a mess um yeah, I do it all the time, but sometimes, I mean, I don't know, a, a lot of, a lot of it is you, you're trying to get stuff done. So in an ideal world, I would just redo it. And, and I have done that, but don't get me wrong. It's, it's not, this is more so earlier on. It's, it's, I don't really look at things that way anymore. Um, but at one point that was a lot of what, what I was going for, especially you, you always hear it's, it's drummed in your head it's one of the many rules that are kind of out there, like backgrounds, you can't, you can't slack on the backgrounds. They have to be. So I'm like, Oh, they're not gonna be able to say anything. They're not gonna be able to say a thing. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? I'm, I'm putting every ounce of effort I can into these backgrounds. You know, I, I was trying to check every box I could so that no one could say no. That, that was part of what it was. So well, that's, some that's of that you have to unlearn. So. Okay, so, so like I said, you're a traditional artist, you know, pens, pencils and such. Uh, have you uh, ever considered working digital or is that, are you pretty much ingrained in the traditional manner? I actually, I want to say it was 2014. I got a, it's actually up on the shelf there, a Cintiq uh, tablet and I actually did try it. So for like a year, I did nothing but digital, but it, um, for, I, I could go on a whole tangent about that, but it. Long, well, story, short, <laughs> long story short, it, it, it's just, I wasn't getting the results I wanted. I preferred, part of it is it brings me back to being a kid and I just have like crayons and I'm drawing and it's pure enjoyment. It, 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 I'm still connected to that when I'm working with paper and you need everything you can. When you're doing this every day, you know, 12 hours a day or something, you need every little thing you can get to keep you there and keep you enjoying it or trick yourself into thinking this is what I should be doing when your, your human instinct is like, get up, do something. <laughs> so I, I did try it. it. It's just not for me. Um, nothing against digital artists, but um, yeah, I can't see myself uh, going into that again. Okay. okay, so now I read in a previous interview that you did uh, uh, that you said that you sometimes struggle with the idea that you're, you know, you're not staying busy because the, the uh, interviewer asked you, uh, you know, like if you, after you finish the project, would you take some time to relax? And you said that you kind of were afraid that maybe you weren't pushing hard enough or because I have the same problem. Me, I figure uh, my days off, I still get up early because I feel like I'm wasting some time. Uh, uh, is that still a uh, a thought for you these days? I mean, because it's been over a year since this interview. Well, I've been, 
I haven't really had any time off since then. So I can't really say, I mean, I would imagine not much has changed, but even like I try to take, even now I try to take um, at least one day off a week just because it's, it's not sustainable. If you're just constantly, you're going to burn out. If you don't, I believe you can do more with breaks, some form of a break, whether that's a day off or maybe in a day you just stop kind of early you're not a machine. So even if it doesn't affect you within the coming months, it might down the road years from now, I might hit this wall out of nowhere and just, I can't draw anything. Like I really haven't run into that thankfully, but to your question, honestly, no, it, it, it's more, I'm glad that day off is there or I'm allowing myself it. Cause I'm just nonstop working on this thing, trying to get it done. And I'm taking more time than ever on each panel, which is a choice, but it's, it's just like, it's a grind to, to put it in simple words. It's basically, no, I'm thankful for the time off and I'm not really feeling as guilty anymore. So I guess it has, I guess it has changed. Okay, so now like I said, so you know, you, you primarily went the self-publishing route, but you have did you know book for Ad House in the free, and also for uh, Dark Horse. Do you find that working with the traditional publisher, do they ever tell you, okay, I'd like you, you know, like if you do a pitch or something, they would like you to make a change on something, or do you basically say, okay, this is how I work, this is what you get, you know, you know, either you like it or you don't, kind of thing. Uh, it's yeah in my experience, it's, it's for the most part, it's, it's just whatever you come up with. Like, I think if they, if they don't trust you, they just won't even say yes. So it's, it's more so like that from, from every, from the limited experience that I have, um, maybe di certain publishers are different and they kind of go through and pick certain things, but I've been lucky that pretty much everything I've done, it's just like, yeah, okay. For better or for worse. All right. Okay, so like I said, your latest book, Faceless and the Family, uh, which are you're bringing to the good folks at Zoop to crowdfund. Uh, can you give our listeners an idea of what Faceless and the Family is about and what inspired it? All right, so if I could just say one line, which I won't, that's not enough, but I like when I was writing it and coming up with it, the line that kind of, encapsulated the whole thing was a group of misfits form a family. That's, that's it. If I could just leave it at that, I would, but essentially it's, it's um, a group of these odd misfit characters all on the outskirts of society for in different scenarios. Um, who, they're just not in the normalcy of everyday life. They over, time come together and form this family essentially and that's how they relate to one another and you could kind of think of it like its own wizard of oz so essentially it, it's uh, centered around the main character faceless who i'll just keep it simple like I, I could go into detail with it but he's looking for facial reconstructive surgery to get a new face and then there's another character giant who is looking to make memories that's all he wants because he's he's um he's a hoarder and he, he 
he's been in isolation for years and he, and he never made a single memory in that whole time. And he finally got the courage to leave. And now that's all he's looking for. Um, then you've got Carp, short for Carpenter. Um, and she's an escaped cult member. And all she's looking for is a real sense of family and love and acceptance because she's never actually had that. She was born in a cult. And once you realize that that's all fake and a lie, um, now that's what she's looking for. And then you've got um, Highway Hal. And he's a, he's actually a, a homeless guy. Uh, and, and he was homeless with his wife. But uh, she one day he woke up from his sleep and she was just missing. So he's looking for his long lost wife. And, uh, and they all kind of, so they all come together and now they're, um, um, I've got the hand planted. That's where it takes place. And they have to travel all the way to Pinky Town. Um, basically they're, they're on this planet and it's like a hand. And um, um, each of the, the fingers are their own city and they're guarded off by ring borders and security guards. And each city is different and you can't just go in like you need you need to be invited you need to work there you need to be making a delivery there needs to be some reason so if they can even get there they have to find a way to get in and that's where they're going for the surgery um and that's the main plot of the story they're think of it like the wizard of oz you know it these odd misfit characters who have come together and they're all looking for one thing um going on this journey to this for this one specific thing and there's more to it than that but to keep it simple that's essentially what it is excellent like i say and that's you know kind of as i was looking at that's kind of the you know like just in the first issue of course uh was the idea right both jerry and uh faceless were just right they were looking for something like i said uh actually jerry kind of reminded me of how we kind of felt after the pandemic we're all locked up in our houses for so long we're just looking to get out and do something yeah, exactly. uh so uh so i can certainly understand that okay so I, as i mentioned you're working with uh zoop for this project uh how did you get in collaboration with zoop and uh what kind of sold you on going uh with them well i actually this did this book did have a publisher um but um long story short um i Basically, I, I pitched it to this bigger publisher. I'm not going to say the name. They turned it down. That was over a year ago. A few months later, I got in touch with an imprint at the same company, and they accepted it. And we signed an agreement, and I've been spending the whole year working on it. And out of nowhere, I get an email saying, yeah, this can no longer happen because the bigger company found out that this was once turned down. So if this if this backdoor route that you took gets revealed, more people will try that. So we can't allow that. So I basically got kicked out. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, pretty upsetting, but, yes. <laughs> but I met um, Jordan from Zoop at a, at a convention like a few months, a few months ago. And uh, I remembered that. So I'm like, you know what, let me just crowdfund it. Let me just do it myself now. And Part of the reason why I never wanted to crowdfund anything is I've heard the nightmare stories of it's a whole job just to run the campaign. And then after the campaign, you need a whole squad of people to package all everything. And 
you need room to put a pallet of comics potentially. And it, I barely have enough time just to do the book. So, but Zoop, they handle all that for you. So I'm like, perfect. Great. I'll, I'll go with them. So, so now people can, they can just support the book directly. But that's the one thing, you know, I've been uh, talking with uh, Jordan Zoop pretty much since they started. And that was the one thing that most people said is that it basically let them free to create, because as you said, all of the uh, work that goes into normal crowdfunding, you're almost doing more of that than you are creating the book. Uh, so, uh, and that's one thing that Zoop is really good about. Okay, uh, so uh, when it comes to the Zoop campaign, uh, what might uh, fans find when they go to uh, your page to support your book? Uh, do you, you have an idea of kind of what, what kind of uh, things that fans might be able to pick up besides, of course, uh, the book? Um, yeah, so we've got the we've got the book, of course. Um, but then we've also got um, the original art is going to be a big uh, part of it. Um, so if you've maybe been following me on social media, maybe you saw a page that you really like, it's all going to be available at, in different ways. Like more than likely how, the, how it's going to work is there's going to be a few select pieces that are their own reward. Um, but aside from those few pieces, there's going to be one reward where it, um, gives you the invitation to a YouTube live, uh, live stream. And it, it'll be kind of like an auction or like a live show the way I understand it. Um, so yeah, the original art is going to be a big part of it. Um, commissions, a limited amount of commissions. So will you, will you do a uh, signed version of, available? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, so you've got the, the digital version. You've got, and by the way, it's, it's, um, it's a five chapter black and white soft cover graphic novel collecting the whole story. Uh, and it's going to be 120 pages of story. And then we're going to have like some pinups and some other stuff in the back. Um, so you've got the digital version. You've got the regular soft cover book of the whole thing. You've got a signed version. You got a signed and remarked version. And then we're also gonna have a number one printed as its own thing. So it's like a collectible separate cover. And there's gonna be a variant cover of a pretty cool artist. I, <laughs> I don't know if I wanna announce it yet. That's why I was asking. Yeah. Um, well, that, yeah, that might be something that you'll announce as you get closer to the yeah. uh, format. But anyway, because so, I'm all about the signed version, so uh, nothing oh, draws yeah. me in quicker than, uh, than uh, getting a signed book. Okay, okay. so uh, well, that's pretty much all I've got for you, Matt. I want to thank you again for your time. But before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe promote, of course, you know, you've been probably really busy, faceless uh, uh, in the family. But if you have anything else that you want to uh, promote, I'll give you that opportunity. And where can fans follow you on social media or the web? Um, honestly, all the focus just just worry about the book, like faceless, faceless in the family. I, if you, if you've ever thought about supporting me in the, in the past, you, you know, and you've been not sure and maybe didn't have the money. I mean, I get that, but this is the time, like I need your help now. <laughs> and especially without a publisher, I have no, nothing really, it's pretty much all me. So if, if you could, you know, it, there's also a tip jar in the in the thing. Maybe you can't afford the full book. Throw me a couple bucks. It all helps. 
and spread the word for me. But um, social media, I'm on Instagram at Matt Draws Comics. No spaces or anything. On Twitter, it's just my name, Matt Lesniewski. Um And that's it. It's uh, zoop.gg. That's that's the website, and you, you'll be able to find it on there. So All right. appreciate anyone. Okay. So, so uh, we'll, of course, be following this really closely and uh, promote it out as uh, we like to do for Zoop. And uh, hopefully get to talk to you again in the future. Yeah. Thank you again for having me on. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to GVN's Talking Comics. Please come back again. Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.